23. Psalm 23 is where we're looking this evening. And as you know, last week I brought a message titled, um, the, uh, the Race Before Us and the Witness Behind Us. I took a little break in our series on Psalm 23, and I intend to do so, if possible, uh, every second after we finish two verses. So tonight, we'll be getting into the next portion of Psalm 23. And, and guys, if you don't mind, if you're willing and able to this evening, I ask you to stand as we honor the reading of the Word of God. We'll read all six verses and then get into our message tonight. Psalm 23 and in verse 1, the Bible says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparedest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father in heaven, thank you again for the wonderful blessing of being together tonight. I do pray uh, that you'd bless the preaching and teaching of your word this evening, and let us bring honor and glory and praise the name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we ask all of these things. Amen. Oh, man, thank you so much. Please be seated, if you will. So Psalm 23, guys, and as we begin to look at where we are and as we begin to look at where we have been, uh, guys, we're getting into a different aspects of the Holy Scripture. And what we need to understand, that our life is made up of, of crossroads, intersections, on-ramps, off-ramps. Some roads are, are motorways, while other roads are, are city center courtyards. And we need to understand those things, and we need to look at them. Life is filled with choices, and life is filled with decisions on a daily basis. From the moment that we get up in the morning time to the time that we lay our head down at night, there are choices rendering results for the next day, for the next month, for the next year. Much like what we've heard on Sunday morning the last three weeks in preaching on the prodigal son out of Luke chapter 15, the choices he made rendered the results that was brought into his life, which reinforced his position later on. And then obviously he remembered where he came from. He repented, returned home, and thus was restored. And we saw that over the last three weeks. And by God's grace, we may bring a fourth part here uh, this coming uh, Wednesday, uh, coming Sunday morning. And if God takes it that way, my heart, my direction right now uh, of where I see us going uh, is more of a prophylactic if you will, a preventative sermon uh, for us to apply to in our life. So we need to understand that our life has choices. Each one of us, each choice bears an outcome. Some are weightier than others, but all have a path that we follow. Some choices or roads are very positive in nature, as well as the outcome, while others are quite negative. So parents need to understand in our life, guys, that the decisions that we made or have made 10, 20, 30 years ago uh, are now just bearing the fruit, okay, bearing the fruit in the lives of our children. Again, some positive, some negative. And there are parents in, in the world today who have lived one way and, and, and spoken another way, and, and those things, that fruit is going to come home, both in their lives and the lives of those that are around them. You know, when we look at the significance of our life and we look at where we are and we understand of what the Lord is going to do for us and how he is our shepherd, all the things we've heard, this is part number seven. We had two parts of five. We split it in half. So this is the eighth sermon of Psalm 23. But one of the things that we need to understand that as, as we as believers and Christians begin to make choices, even if they're ill choices, if they're wrong choices, 
We still have that shepherd, guys, the same one that leads us by still waters, the same one that, that causes us to lie down in green pastures, the same one who provides and that we shall not want. He's the same one that's going to restore our soul when we make our silly mistakes, do you understand? So what we're going to look at tonight in this particular portion, this part number 7 of Psalm 23, is that one singular portion there in verse 3, He restoreth my soul. He restoreth my soul. So in verse 3, we find the most important decision to ever be pondered upon in receiving Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior by accepting His sacrifice on the cross in the place for our uh, eternal payment of sin. That's what we do. He restoreth my soul. So think about this for just this evening. At this moment, at the very moment, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried in the grave, rose again, ascended on high, and was sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, the moment that you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now, guys, listen, you don't have to have a date, a time, a year, a place, a location, but I promise you that there's got to be a moment in your life when you came under conviction and you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you think tonight you're going to heaven because mom and daddy or grandpappy said so, you're wrong, amen? He restored your soul because of the choice and the decision that you made when you got under that conviction. So at that very moment, the moment that you were saved and born again, no matter how young, no matter how big, no matter how short, no matter how old, the moment that happened, guys, in the very eyes of God, we became righteous. Now that's hard. That's a hard pill to swallow when we look at ourselves as failed men and women. As we look at ourselves uh, as sinners, we are. Uh, we're not perfect. We're not, we, we make mistakes. That's just the way it is. But eternally speaking, when God... Uh, when the God of creation looks upon us, he sees a new being covered by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's powerful, guys. That is a very powerful statement. John chapter 3 and verse 3 says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto, unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 7, Jesus reiterated this point. He reinforced it by saying, Ye must, not should, could, would, ye must be born again. Now, we know the rest of the story in John 3. We know where, we know how uh, Nicodemus began to say, how can a man enter into his mother's womb a second time be born? And the Lord said, if he be born of water and of spirit, being born of water is your flesh. That's, that water breaks in a, by the way, that water breaks in a woman's womb, okay? Let me, I have no problem, let me go ahead and make this clear since we're online with everybody. I have no problem defining what a woman is. Uh, God said, uh, he, amen, uh, he created male and female, created he them, amen. And uh, so I'm not going to do like the Church of England and refuse to define it. A woman is a female, and a woman, period, gives birth, okay? Not a man play acting like a woman, not a woman, that, that doesn't happen, okay? Let's, let's make that clear. You are given the, uh, the, the body composition to create life, amen? That's exactly what a woman does. That's why, that's why the woman is so powerful that she is, okay? And you ought not want to be anything else, amen? You know, I want to be what God created me to be, created me to be a man. I don't want to be a woman. Uh, if you're a woman, you ought to be happy with what you are, but I'm, let's just make it clear. Women give birth and they marry men, period, all right? So Church of England, you can, uh, you can sit where you want to, uh, but you're heretics for not defining what a woman is. Amen? You've robbed them of the strength that God blessed them because of what of your decision. Amen? So nonetheless, where were we? Nicodemus. He said, How can, oh, should I enter up into my mother's womb again and be born? No, that's not it. You're born of 
water. That's the water breaking. And then you're born of the Spirit. That's being born again. You're born in the flesh physically. And then there comes a time when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you do, therefore you are born again. And when we are born again, guys, when we are restored, as we're seeing in Psalm 23 tonight, we become eternally righteous in the eyes of God, which can never be lost. Amen. Once received, never be lost. So when we're born again, we have eternal life, which is righteousness, because we are in Christ, okay? To the average person, to the non-church-going, non-born-again person, to the lost individual tonight, when I say we are in Christ, and in a moment, a few moments I'm going to say we're, Christ is in us, and yet Christ sitteth at the right hand of the throne of God, when I say those things, that makes no sense, no sense at all. But to the same people, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them. The preaching that God came down, lived 33 and a half years as a man, gave his life for the sins that he did not commit, became sin, who, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that's foolishness unto the lost person. And rightly so, the Bible says that it would be, right? But that's why we are born again. That's how we're born again. That's how we are restored. That's how our soul is restored, is through that acceptance of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So we have, all, we have guys... When we're born again, number one, we see that we have eternal life, which is righteousness because we are in Christ. But number two, we also know that we have an experienced life as well, which is to be righteous, righteous because Christ is in us. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 6 says, uh, One God and one Father of, of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. In you all. Romans 8 verse 10 tells us, And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. That's the restoration. Whose righteousness? The Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, this this is to say that, that once you're saved, you don't have to sin. Do you understand that? You don't have to. We choose to. And on a scale to sin uh, in your experienced life, uh, guys, the reality is even though we do not have to sin, we know that we do. And many oftentimes, we, some have committed greater sins after they were saved than they did before they were saved. But remember this, Paul said, with outside of law, he didn't know sin. And because of the law, his sin became exceeding sinful in his eyes. So when we are born again, guys, we become righteous in the eyes of God eternally. And our life is experienced like it is. Uh, we do not have to sin. We many times make choices that, uh, that cause us to sin. And many will walk down a sinful road and have make wrong decisions. They'll keep traveling down that road despite the consequences. But it's in these times, guys, when we need to make the right choice. In those days and times when we were walking down the wrong road. We made one bad choice because of this bad choice. We made another bad choice because of this one. We made another one and another one and another one. And it's just a continual, you know, domino effect, if you will. But it's this time we need to make the right ones and plead to God. David said in Psalm, 20, uh, Psalm 51, verse 12, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. So how does the Lord, our shepherd, restore our soul? After it's been saved. Because we sit here and think, well, we don't lose our soul. No, you don't lose your soul. And it's not the soul that you're losing, nor is it salvation when we sin and we transgress against God's law after salvation. What is that? It's the restoration of the joy of thy salvation. There's a joy that is in the midst 
of salvation. There's a joy that this world cannot give. There's no drug, there's no alcohol, there's no club, there's no pleasure of sin for a season that it is that can bring the joy of salvation in a person's life. Nothing that can do that. There's nothing like it. So how does the Lord do this? Well, the great shepherd has three applications we're going to look at tonight. Three applications in the lives of his sheep. We're going to see that there's a ministry, there's a master, and then there's magnificence. So the first thing, the ministry tonight, the ministry of the shepherd. The Lord's ministry is applied in our lives, and we're talking about the restoration. He restores my soul. The Lord's ministry is applied in our life, typically um, after a, a predicament, if you will. We have, to, we have placed a predicament that we've placed ourselves in. You know, one of the things, again, I come back, and I'm not repeating myself from last week, but not last week, week before. One of the things that I want us to remember is that he leadeth us beside the still waters. That is, it's vitally important that we understand that idea tonight. Vitally important that we understand that principle. If your life is filled with chaos, God's not doing that. Do you understand? You have led yourself into a situation that has rendered that chaos and not the still waters that the Lord wants to lead you by. We need to understand that biblical principle beyond any imagination here this evening, okay? So his ministry, guys, is applied in our life, typically after we put ourselves into a, a predicament associated with the position as we as sheep are in, guys. And it's mainly according to our actions. So we see three things. We're going to look at that. And we look at his tools here a little bit tonight as well in this shepherd. We see that many of the times we are adamant sheep. We'll look at that in just a moment. I'll give you the three first. We're not only adamant sheep, but we're abandoning sheep. And we are ailing sheep. Within those three actions, we find that there's a rod of discipline for the adamant. There's a staff of direction for the abandoning. And then there's an oil of doctrine for the ailing. So the first thing of restoring, restoring the adamant sheep. How does he do that? How does the Lord, how does the, the great shepherd uh, restore the ailing, I mean, the, um, um, the, um, um, the adamant sheep, the adamant sheep? How does he do that? Well, I want you to remember, we discussed the nature of sheep. And oftentimes, uh, guys, as sheep, we're just plain stubborn. That's just the way it is. We're just plain stubborn. Isaiah 53 and verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his ways, and the Lord uh, hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, the rod, guys, is, is, is a rather useful tool. It's unique, and uh, it's a unique instrument that the shepherd uh, holds, that the shepherd utilizes. One that we'll look at, you know, we'll look at it in greater detail later on in this series. But for the adamant sheep, guys, for the ones who are just stubborn, he will use this rod to simply fracture the leg of the sheep, of this adamant sheep who continues to make these repetitious mistakes, and these repetitious issues in his life. He'll do this so that he has to stay close to the shepherd in order to, while he's healing. So not only does the adamant sheep put themselves in danger by leaving, but he will also affect the rest of the flock. So remember, guys, there's safety in numbers. And guys, when we forsake our portion and our part and our job uh, within the flock, guys, somebody else has to pick that slack up. It affects the entire flock, if you will, not just yourselves. So, beloved, many of us think that the shepherd dealing with the, uh, uh, the adamant sheep, we may think that this is uh, it's a bit harsh. We may think that it's a little bit you know, unruly, per se, or just a, uh, you know, a, little, bit, uh, a little bit wrong. But guys, the reality of the, of the fact is this. Uh, in 1722 B.C., the shepherd used the rod of Assyria, 
against the ten northern tribes of Israel. And, and in uh, 586 B.C., he used the rod of Babylon against the southern tribes of Benjamin and Judah. Isaiah chapter 10 and verse 5, the Bible says, O Assyrian, the rod of mine anger and the staff in their hand is mine indignation. So because of Israel's adamance of turning their back upon God and doing the things that they did and the way that they did them, what do we find, guys? We find that God used Assyria as a rod of his anger. And he also, guys, even though they were his rod, they also suffered the rod of judgment later on, we find. In Isaiah 30, verse 31, the Bible says, For through the voice of the, of the Lord shall the Assyrian be beaten down, which smote, uh, which smote with a rod. And in every place where the, grounded, uh, where the grounded staff shall pass, which the Lord shall lay upon him, it shall be with tab, uh, tablets and, and harps, and in battles of shaking will he fight with us. You see, my God, you know, so even though we find that there was an issue, there was a problem, there was a, there was a, a judgment that came upon Israel, even though God used the Assyrian as the rod of his judgment, he was still going to judge them for doing what they did to the nation of Israel. I know that sounds a bit odd, but that is what it is. Turn your Bibles real quick to Psalm 119 and look at this with me, if you will. Psalm 119. So Psalm 119, verse 67, notice, uh, notice this here. It says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. So guys, what we find that it's painful, is it painful to suffer as the adamant sheep? Absolutely it is. Absolutely. We, hear, we read about it in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 that no chastening for the moment seems pleasurable, but it render what? The peaceable fruit of righteousness. That's the same thing that you're seeing there with the psalmist. He says, before I was afflicted, and I, uh, uh, afflicted, before I was afflicted, I went astray. He went astray. He made decisions. He made ill choices. So he was adamant about doing what he wanted to do. And an affliction came upon him, but now have I kept thy word. That's the point of the rod of discipline by the good shepherd. And then there's the abandoning sheep, the abandoning sheep. I'm going to ask you to turn to Psalm 40 with me real quick, if you will. Psalm in chapter 40. Just as the rod is used for discipline, the staff, the staff is used for direction. It, it's the, it's the, the crook on the end, uh, the, on, the, on the end of, the, of, the, of the, uh, the staff there. And again, we're going to look at that in further detail later on in the series. But I want you to understand that this hook was used, guys, to direct the sheep in the, the way that they should go. The sheep tend to wander. They tend to go places they ought not go. And they tend to stray off the path at times. In Psalm chapter 40 and verse 1, the Bible says, I waited patiently. Uh, for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. So we find this shepherd, this good shepherd, with those abandoning sheep who just have a tendency to go astray. You have the adamant sheep, eventually he's going to break their leg, all right? And again, we'll look at it later on, uh, what that really, really entails. And then you have the abandoning sheep. They just tend to kind of wander, and they, they keep going astray, and the Lord just reaches over with that crook and, and puts it right around their neck and their shoulders and just steers them into the right way. Same thing we see in Psalm 40, how he lifted them up out of a, out of a horrible pit, okay? Both of these things are utilized with the good shepherd. And then there's the ailing sheep, the ailing sheep, if you will. So the ailing sheep, beloved, when we begin to look at them and understand who and what they are, uh, you know, 
you know, we, guys, we all know people that claim to be sick, and they seem to always have a fever and uh, always have to have some type of infirmity going on. And uh, a lot of times, guys, it's self-induced, self-inflicted, self-inflamed. But at the reality, uh, there are those who are truly suffering from some type of sickness and, uh, and some type of fault. And, uh, and we need to understand that. Paul said it like this, guys, and this is what we need to take and understand the ministry that God has given us uh, and, and he uses for the, uh, the shepherd here, I mean, for the, for the alien sheep. He says, brethren, if, there be a, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Uh, beloved, it's a good sign, guys, of those who are spiritual in their Christian life uh, to restore someone that has a fault in their life. And as, as night falls, guys, not only does the shepherd count the sheep, uh, they're coming into the fold, but he cares for the sheep. Uh, he walks through the flock inspecting the sheep, rubbing their coats, searching for wounds, and searching for in, uh, injuries. So here's what he tends to do with the alien sheep, these injuries that will be there. The shepherd has a mixture of oil, tar, and sulfur. This is what, a, in, in the time when the psalmist would have written this, this is what they used. They would take that oil, tar, and sulfur and they would mix it all together, and it would act as a, as a healing agent as well as an insecticide. And it's a beautiful picture of what the Holy Spirit of God is in our life when it's applied to our injured and wounded souls. The shepherd restores our soul with the work of the mighty Holy Spirit. So guys, the ministry of the shepherd tonight, we know that it's for the adamant sheep. We know there's a ministry for the abandoning sheep. It's a ministry for the ailing sheep, and we understand that. And it's a threefold application consisting of discipline, directing, as well as doctrine. But after, guys, we need to move on from the ministry to the mastery, to the mastery. And this is important here. It's important to understand as we see this great and wonderful shepherd of what he's done for us in our life. Your great mind and your greatest need tonight is to learn to go from restoration to righteousness. So many believers have this deluded idea that it's acceptable to live in a, in a constant state of restoration. Uh, it creates this mentality that there always has to be some type of drama in a believer's life in order for that action or that feeling or that exhilaration or that adrenaline flow of restoration for it to be here. We see it in the charismatic crowd. We see it in them that it's always something that, that, had, that needs some type of pouring out, some type of anointing. Can I say something to you about the use of this word anointing? When you got saved, when you were born again, you were anointed with as much Holy Spirit of God than you were, that you were, than you were ever going to get. You didn't get any more. He came right inside of you. You understand? All filled up, right? Now, what, how much of that Holy Spirit that you allow to utilize your life, how much you surrender over to him, that's your doings, not God's. But you have a group of people that want to stay in this whole form of restoration, that zeal, that exhilaration of, of what it was like when a person got saved, when the Holy Spirit came in and moved into the life and, and had all these things. Well, they want to stick with that feeling. You can't do that, my friend. You got to go from restoration to righteousness. You got to do that. The, the shepherd restores the sheep when there is a need. But the sheep must live on the right path, not the past. And too many tonight are living in what used to be, what could have been, both positive and negative. But guys, you just got to let go and live for God. You got to do it now. Amen.
You got to cut it loose. Put it in your rear view and move on. Amen. And if you got a problem looking in the rear view mirror, snap that thing off the windscreen, throw it in the back seat. Quit looking in the past and wanting this feeling of restoration. It's already happened. Move on to righteousness. Amen. And so, beloved, if or when the shepherd's ministry is applied into our life, we need to learn the mastery of the shepherd. Turn with me quickly in your Bibles to John 10. And I'm keeping an eye on the time. We're, we're nine to be finished tonight. John chapter 10 this evening. Look here with me, if you will. We're going to look in verses 3 through 5. John chapter 10, verse 3 says, To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of the strangers. Guys, you know what that tells us? When we're moving from restoration to righteousness in our Christian life, when we are able to, to put away the, si- the past and get on that right path and begin to develop this righteous way of living, it tells us that we as sheep tonight, our master, our master to the sheep, okay, as our master, the sheep, number one, we need to be obsessed with him. You understand that? Now, too many men want to fill this role right here. That's not what God wants you to do. We need to be obsessed with our shepherd. The shepherd should occupy our every thought. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, Whether therefore you eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do, uh, do all to the glory of God. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, And whatsoever you do in word and deed, do all to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks unto God and the Father by Him. Colossians 3, 23, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. So as sheep, if we're going to get out of the restoration phase, get out of that, let me be filled with the third, fourth, fifth, ninth, second blessing, and that crazy doctrine, and move on to righteousness, the first thing that's going to have to happen, we are going to have to be obsessed with the master. There's nothing wrong with that, okay? We need to be obliged to the master. Obliged to the master. We as sheep are obligated, guys, if you will, to stay close to the shepherd, to stay in the fold with the flock, not so that we we will not wander off. I mean, the further you go, you got to keep in mind, the further you go, the further you're going to have to come back. And the longer you're out there, the harder it is to, to, to return. So we need to, we need to be obligated to, to the master. We need to be obedient to him. Simple. John 10, 27 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. That's simple, isn't it? I mean, there, there's, not a, there's no hidden formula there. There's no secret to it. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, they follow me. It's that simple, guys. That simple tonight. Beloved, disobedience is not really an option to the righteous. Disobedience is what happens in order to be restored. But guys, I'm going to tell you right now, there comes a time when enough is enough. Disobedience is, guys, when the next time you hear that voice that says, you know, stay home, sleep in, skip out, ask yourself, is that the voice of the shepherd? My, my sheep hear my voice? They know, I know them and they know me? I mean, would the shepherd want you to, uh, to be out of the fold, missing church? I mean, you can't tell, guys, you can't tell me that people are missing tonight who could be here. And the same thing on Sunday and the next Wednesday and Sunday night. The reality is these adamant, ailing, abandoning sheep are still in the process, I guess, of restoration. Guys, there just comes a time when you've got to put aside the restoration and start moving on to the righteousness. 
I mean, the shepherd, would the shepherd tell you not to pass a gospel track out? Would the shepherd tell you not to speak to him in prayer? Would the shepherd want you not to give? No. These are, you're like, well, these are silly questions. I know they are. Say, well, these are, they sound like they're rhetorical. They should be. Amen? This is what our, sheep, our, our shepherd wants us to do. And guys, I understand it. I understand. The flock is dependent upon the shepherd. It's dependent upon who we are and what we are. And guys, if, if I had to nail down one misconception to the modern-day Christian's life, it's living a defensive life. Most will go through life expecting uh, discipline. They'll expect directing. They'll expect the doctrine. And, and uh, we spend so much time getting out of trouble rather than getting into righteousness, we need to switch from being defensive to offensive. So when you come through the ministry of the shepherd into the mastery of the shepherd, that's when we can worship the magnificent. Remember, the Lord said, I am that I am. Beloved, the first time the word worship shows up, it's in Genesis 22, 5. We won't turn there for time's sake. And it's directly associated, directly associated with sacrifice. Now, I hear this, and you, see, you hear today more than probably ever, the, the, the worship team leader, a worship leader. And what they refer to as a worship leader is what in reality is a song leader or a music director, okay? There is no such thing as a worship leader. Can I tell you that tonight? The worship leader is the Holy Spirit of God. There is no man that has anything to do with a worship leader. What brings you to worship is the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God, understanding that worship has always been associated with sacrifice, always has been and always will be. So if you're going to worship the magnificent tonight, it's going to be after you come through the ministry and the mastery of the great shepherd tonight. And it does take sacrifice. It takes sacrifice to worship the magnificent shepherd. We understand that. But it's a sacrifice which is paid a thousand times over in the lifetime of the saint. It's a sacrifice that will be a bump on the road compared to the blessings that we will receive. So guys, in closing tonight, I'm going to ask you to reflect on the meaning of the message to you this evening, personally. Through the words of the Apostle Paul, what did Paul say? I mean, Paul simply said, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Depart from iniquity. He restoreth my soul, the psalmist said. He was speaking of the great shepherd, the good shepherd. He was speaking of our shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't get any better than that. And beloved, if you're here tonight and you're wondering and maybe confused or even struggling with this idea of being restored and, and a little bit nervous about leaving that part of restoration and moving on to that righteousness, I'm going to go ahead and tell you this this evening. Get into the restoration as quick as you can because the further you go away, the longer it's going to take for you to be restored. And once you get through the restoration, Walk that path of the righteousness because that's what's going to bless you. That's what's going to restore the joy of thy salvation. You bow your heads to see them. Father, we do thank you for who and what you are, for all that you've done. We ask of you now to please forgive us of where we had failed you. Lord, I pray the message is a blessing to the hearts of the hearers tonight. and do pray that you'd make a difference in their life. And Father, as we depart this evening, I ask you to please keep us safe and free from harm. Protect us and watch over us. And Lord, we give you glory, honor, and praise for all things that will be said and done. And we just thank you tonight. Uh, for the mighty word of God, we thank you for everything that you have given us and that which you have taught us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, thank you so much, guys, everyone, for being here.
Thank you so much for joining us today. I do hope and pray the sermon you just heard was a tender blessing to your heart and to your soul. I hope that it gives you the encouragement, edification to face the challenges that we see each and every day and week throughout our life. I'd like to invite you out to one of our live services here at Saren Chapel in Abraman. We are located on Lewis Street as well as Davis Street. Davis Street is the entrance to our chapel and as well as Lewis Street is the entrance to our hall and you can use either one of them. But secondly today, guys, I would like to share just a brief message to you now to ask you to where you are going in eternity. If today was the last day you were alive, if today by some tragedy, this is the last moment you had on this earth, when you closed your eyes, would you wake up and see Jesus Christ? It is a simple question, guys, and it is even a more simple answer. The Bible tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, paid the ultimate price for mankind. He gave us the free pass to eternal life by giving his life on the cross of Calvary, being buried into that grave, but rising again on the third day. It is simple as this. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You see, guys, while we were sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ loves us so much that he gave his life. As a matter of fact, Romans 5, 8 tells us, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Sin is defined as the transgression of God's law. But what happened was the payment with, for mankind is death. Romans 6.23 clearly tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So I ask you today, what would, what would stop you right here, right now, for bowing your head and saying a prayer much like this, Lord Jesus Christ, I trust in you. Jesus Christ, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, and I believe that you stepped up out of the grave to give us victory over sin and victory over death. I invite you into my heart and ask forgiveness of my sins and ask you to lead God and direct me throughout the rest of my life. Now, here's the thing. You say that prayer in your own words, but you have to say it and believe in it. Remember, Romans 10, 9 says, And believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That is a promise from the word of God. That is a promise from God himself. That is the promise from the creator of all things, that if you'll believe on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, ask forgiveness of your sins, accept his free gift and pardon of sin into your heart today, that you will be born again, that you will have eternal life in heaven. Guys, I hope and pray this is a blessing to you today. I hope and pray that you'd make that decision. And if you have, if you've made that decision today, let us rejoice with you. Come by and see us here at the church or hit us up online at any of the social media outlets or through email or however you can. Just share with us the glorious transformation that you just received in your life. Guys, I hope to see you soon in the house of God. I hope to see you soon right here in Sharon Chapel. And may the Lord be with each and every one of you. God bless.